Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Hey, everybody. We are here once again, hanging and banging. I just thought lockdown is Thursday night, as we do every Thursday night. We talk about uh, all the things happening in the rock and roll world, and we have legends and icons on the air. And tonight is going to be, oh, my gosh, it might be a five- or six-hour extended presentation tonight because we got a lot of people, a lot of legends, a lot of icons on this show. And we're going to be talking about one thing. That's right, January 20th of this year, uh, the world, the rock and roll world, the the all-encompassing world uh, lost uh, a legend and an icon in and of himself, uh, Meatloaf, uh, as you all know. And um, he's just one of those guys that that touched so many people's lives. All of us were growing up, and we've got several people that are very, very, very close uh, with Meatloaf. We're lucky tonight to have these folks on. We'll be talking all about uh, intimate stories behind the scenes about what it was like to hang out with a guy uh, such as Meatloaf. Before we do, let's bring... My partners, my brothers on, uh, talk about legends and icons. You know him from Dio. You know him from Black Sabbath. Vinny Appice, come on, brother. There you are. Hey, is this a two-hour show? I hope it's only two hours. I really do. Because I got to go to bed. Come on. You don't go to bed early. You're a rocker. It's 6 o'clock. No, where are you? You're in Florida. Actually, I got to leave for the airport at 5 in the morning. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll rush everybody. I'll rush everybody. Okay. Um, anyway, let's. We got a lot a to go. Show. We got. It's going to be a great show tonight. I'm very excited about it. So let's bring our big brother. Uh, you know him from Vanilla Fudge, you know Rod Stewart, Jeff Beckett, so many other incarnations. Carmine, a piece. And look at my look at my background. Where am I? Uh, oh, you're in, in the production office. office. I'm I'm in the uh, the entertainer uh, director's office in the Hard Rock. My buddy Dave Gold. Dave, say hi. Hi, Dave. What's up, brother? Hey, Dave. So we're here. See, we're we're going to see Deep Purple and Blois the Cult tonight with me and my, my, my good friend Nico. Go ahead, Vinny. They, they're dating tonight. It's a special anniversary <laughs> date. Bust my balls, God. Bust my balls. I know. You got, you got the poster like I heart Nico and the audience. It's yeah, going to be great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a couple. What a couple. What a couple. couple. What a couple of what. Hey, guys, not. you know what? First of all, uh, you know, it's it's been an incredible week. We we, we filmed a couple of, of episodes this week, so everyone's just loving this freaking hanging and banging thing. But uh, tonight is a very special show. You know, um, we've been uh, uh, doing this now. This is our 77th, 78th episode and been doing it for a long time, obviously going on two years or about two years. Um, and we've lost uh, – we, we've had to go through – some uh, uh, some deep losses, Eddie Van Halen, a few others that have yeah. happened in the last couple of years. Um, really tough. But, you know, Meatloaf was one of those guys um, that uh, really touched all of us. And uh, I mean, a few words I understand 
Uh, I never had the opportunity to meet him, but uh, but really made uh, an impression on so many people, especially in the rock and roll world. Did you guys have any experience with Milo specifically? Not, Not really. No, I, I met him he had a few times. Mm-hmm. I, I met him a few times, but never really uh, hung out a lot with him. You know, I never met him. I never even met him anyway. So, yeah. But I'm glad to be here. Yeah, he was one of those guys that, yes. Well, that's the thing. He's one of those guys that's really just almost like an enigma because he was known by everybody in so many. He, as I said, touched so many lives, but not close to a lot of people. But the people that he was close to, many of them on our show tonight. So what I'm going to do is, Ben, we're just going to keep bringing them on. I like to bring everybody on so we get this kind of this uh, this yeah. vocal jam going, this conversation jam going. So first, you know him. Uh, uh, I I first met him obviously in in his uh, his years now with the Bloister Cult. He's been by the arcade I don't know fifty hundred times, something like that. A really great guy, you know, from Utopia. Set me free, which is interesting because we got a couple set me frees on on this show. Um, <laughs> let's bring Kevin Sultan on. Hey everybody. Hey, Kevin. Yes. Hi, Ron. Hi, Carmine. Hi, Vinny. I did. So I'm going to see, see you your boys tonight. Yeah, you too. talked to you Eric. Too. He told me he lives around the corner from me now. Oh, no, really? <laughs> yeah. He lives like five minutes from my house. So I'm going to yeah. get together he's a, he's with him. A, and, uh, he's, a real, he's a real snowbird. He, the, half the time, half the year he's up here in Long Island, and half the year he's down there by you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm worse. I'm just down here. Yeah. yeah. So this would be a great show. We have the place in New York, but, you know, it's like, we never go there. I'm going there next month to rehearse with Cactus and do some Cactus shows. But oh, how cool. It. That's great. Yeah. Good. Yeah, we're we're going to play the Iridium on, on the 14th. Oh, of, that's cool. Uh, February. 14th of February? You, and we're doing Ron in June. Yep. After he's yeah. done doing Nico, apparently. Yeah. All right. So Ron, we yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just keep it rolling. We got a lot of people. Over oh, boy. Go, gonna, go, go. That's going to last a long time, Carmen. I'm sorry. You think your brother's gonna let that one go? Are you kidding me? No, but I started. Um, no. I started it, so it's. Perfect. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, also, you know this young man. I tell you what. You talk about a, a range of music. This guy's been so many projects, so many bands. And you talk about a range of music from Michael Bolton to Kiss. Well, he's been in them all. Grand Funk Railroad, of course. Of course. Uh, and then his his years with uh, Meat Loaf. We'll talk about uh, Bruce Kulik. Let's bring on Bruce. Bruce, How's it going, guys. Bruce. Hey, all right. Hey, Bruce. This is so much. This is going to be fun. Man. I know who's backstage, and I'm very excited. Okay. Oh, oh, me too. So there's lots too. to talk about. And Kevin, great to see you, of course, and just you about too, everybody Bruce. here. I've worked with or or wanted yeah. to work with, you know, and um, I'm I'm very excited. And I, I wanted to look at uh, the loss of Meatloaf as a celebration of music, and and of course. It's it's sad for him, you know, to be gone. I still think he probably had much more that he wanted to do and could have done. But the legacy that he has and and these guests that you have on this show is going to be really memorable and a fitting tribute to the to the man. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We're very very excited. Well um, we're gonna keep it rocking, guys. I'd like to uh, bring on another young man who's who's uh, I'm very excited. Um, besides so many other reasons, um, he is continuing uh, the legacy of Meatloaf and the Neverland Band, Neverland Express Band. Um, Mark Crook, uh, Paul Rather. Uh, where is Paul? There he hey. is. There's Paul. Hey, hey Paul. Paul. Hey. He is uh, hey. uh, 
the, the project is bat and you keep on rocking and you're actually going to be at February 24th at the Arcata Theater. So, I mean, in displays in, in, in Chicago area, we're excited to have you guys there. And thank uh, you. you're keeping the legacy going, man. And we thank love you. you. Yes. Trying to. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Actually, so I'm here. That, uh, Kaz is that a tribute? Is that a tribute act? For no, it's no, not. It's the guys, man. Yeah, I wouldn't say tribute. Um, we're just celebrating meatloaf. Oh, that's great. That's right. Yeah. Say what, Paul? I'm sorry. Paul, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Chasm was the one that called me uh, yeah. about joining me, love. It was the first phone call I received. Did you get the yep. check? <laughs> <laughs> Not more importantly, did you cash it? <laughs> actually, yeah, I'm actually very happy with the money I've made with me, no, to be honest with you. Like <laughs> Paul, are you working with that? Cal is it Caleb? Is uh, the yeah. singer? That yeah. guy is the. I could not believe it when I met him backstage at a Queen show, and I was just like, "Oh, please, please let me know when you're going to perform." You know. Yeah, I think that was at so, Vegas, right? Right, Bruce. Yes. Think, yes. You, you and I were yep. talking backstage. Yes. Uh, Excellent. Funny is, yeah, Caleb is actually with Eric Singer this very second. Oh, at that charity event oh, that they did. Palm Springs, right, yeah. Tommy. Yes, yes. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Small world, I'm, guys. I'm yeah, looking at Eric Singer on the wall here. <laughs> oh, that's that's weirder. That's small world, weirder. man. Okay. Small world. All yeah, right, let's keep yeah. it going, guys. We're gonna bring in a couple ladies. I'm very excited about Carla Woo! DeVito. Uh, performed so much with Meatloaf. Yes, Love hey, it. everybody. Hi. Hi, Bruce. Hi. Hi, Ken. I got a better photo, uh, that social media post I did where I grabbed that shot of, I'm holding a bottle of wine. That's not like me. And you <laughs> and Meat and I, and it's such a classic shot. I, I took the, that. you know, your thumbnail for this show and then added in Carla, me, and Meat. And it, I, she loved it, of course. It's a know. great photo. Great it's to really see you, Carla. Great to see great you. Great to see you, too. Thanks. Great to see you all. Great to see you. Yep. Everybody, Paul, yeah. all you so guys. So nice to yes. have you, Carla. Thank you so much. We got Happy a couple, to be here. We got, we got two more guests. It's still coming. I'll, we'll probably get to the second hour before we actually do the interviews. But uh, the next person, mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, you know, we all grew up, you know, there's white snake videos that we got through puberty with, or there's other things we got through puberty with. But if you didn't go through puberty um, uh, uh, vocally, uh, with the uh, audio on Paradise by the Dashboard Light. I mean, my God, the, the vocals on that, the, from, from the female vocals especially, I got to say personally, I owe her a great debt of, of gratitude. <laughs> Let's bring Ellen Foley on. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Ellen. Hello, boys. Hey. Hi, Ellen. Is there, so you're telling me you have reached puberty? You know, that's no, that's the, the interesting no. thing. That's when it began. But these guys who know me know that I have yet. I will yeah. be 60 coming up this month. And I'll we think that, for that. And I've got a growth spurt coming, they tell me. So okay. I'm excited. Okay. Vertically. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Vertically. Okay. Hell good. yeah. So thank you for joining us, ladies. Um, I'm going to. Yay, Foley. I know. And you guys, did, you guys did a song together. We're going to talk yeah. about the album. I can't wait to talk about that. Our last guest I'd like to introduce. Um, you know, you talk about legends, you talk about icons. This guy's been a guest on our show several times. He's been at my theaters also in Chicago. It's obviously all over the world. Um, but he also was the producer of, uh, of, a, of the fifth selling record album in, in, in record history, over 43 million albums. This is a guy who not only wow. produced it, he performed on it, but also it's an interesting story we're going to get to about how it almost didn't happen or he didn't really take it very seriously. We're going to talk about that. But ladies and gentlemen, a standing ovation for Mr. Todd Rundgren. Yay. Toddy! Toddy! Yay. 
You're, you're not standing. We're not <laughs> worthy. Standing. Yes, I am, Todd. Yes, I am. I'm pushing. <laughs> I'm bowing. Is bowing okay? Yes, that's what. Yeah. Right, count of okay. three, everybody. Ron is standing, but he's so short. It looks yeah. like he's sitting. <laughs> I'm standing, Todd. Well, you know what, everybody? Look at this. Carmine, you're loving this. I know you I are. I love it. But let's oh, yeah. do this, guys. We got, you know, we could spend the entire hour with each and every one of you, actually, besides the, your <laughs> own careers and the, the perspectives on, on meat. And uh, uh, it's just, you know, again, we all thank you so much because you had such all had such unique relationships with meatloaf. We like to hear all about it. Um, let's start. I, you know, I don't want to I'm not going to go down the line on every question. But the first question I am, because I think it's important <laughs> that we we talk about how you specifically uh, met meat. Um, and started with his world. And actually, uh, I'm going to start. Um, Todd, I want to do you last because I want to hear about the whole bat thing. And it's really an amazing story. I'm muting uh, story. myself. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but actually, let's talk to Paul. Paul, uh, let's let's uh, talk to you first. I believe it was about 2002 that you started getting into the, into the ball game with Meatloaf? Correct. Uh, I first met Meatloaf in mm -hmm. 1999. I was playing, I was uh, working with Anthrax at that time, and we were touring with Motley Crue. And Pearl, Meat's daughter, was a backup singer. And we were at the uh, Universal Amphitheater uh, in LA, and um, Meat was backstage. And I was really excited to meet him. You know, was, uh, that's the first time I met him. Uh, years later, uh, I got a phone call from Kazim Sultan. I could, it was really funny. I, I'll never forget him. It's a block call. I pick it up. Hey, Paul, this is Kazim Sultan. I'm like, Get, uh, uh, can we swear on this thing? I don't know if I'm <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Why no, not? I was, no, I was like, get the fuck out of here. Cat's oh, you can't say it was, here. it was. It was Catherine Salt. Yeah, so Catherine <laughs> called me in 2002 asking if I'd be interested in auditioning for Meatloaf. And obviously, it was Pearl that put you know my name in Catherine's ear. Yeah, that, that that's how. That's why I'm here right now. That's cool. awesome, man. Uh, you know, so so Chasm, was it the the um because you had you had the um the Bloister Cult thing happening at the time, or was that no, 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 no. I was, I, I was, was I was, right? I was meet, yeah, I was meets MD at the time. I was his musical director uh, uh, for the yeah. from '98 until 2011. And how did you, how did you get the, and how, how did, did you, I, I mean, that's a freaking gig and a half. How does that happen? Well, I, I'm the, the first, um, well, I was living in Woodstock. Uh, I was living with Roger Powell, the keyboard player for Utopia. Uh, we, we were sharing a house in Woodstock. The phone rang. It was Todd. He said, um, would you like to play bass on a record that I'm producing? I said, uh, yeah, who, who is it? He said, I, it's a guy named Meatloaf. And I said, all right, <laughs> please don't, don't kid around. Tell me who it is. And he got, he got angry with me. And he said, just be at the studio tomorrow at 1 o'clock and hung up the phone. <laughs> and that's that sounds when, like Todd. <laughs> yeah, and then that's when I I went to the to the accountant's office where the rehearsals were, uh, up in Bearsville, and I met Ellen, Jim, Meatloaf, and uh, Jim Simon, Meatloaf, and Rory Dodd, and they performed the entire record live for myself, Todd, Roy Bitten, and uh, Max Weinberg. Max Weinberg, really? Yeah. Was Max oh, on the record? Max played drums. Max wow. played drums on the entire record. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. I didn't. We didn't even know that. That's amazing. 
That's yeah. it. How about you, Bruce? How did this uh, whole thing happen with you and Meatloaf? You know, my brother, and uh, as you all know, you know, we, we lost Bob in 2020. Bob, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how I was introduced to Meatloaf. And it was clearly just him, you know, being, we were in New York, and I know Bob and I always wanted to do a brothers or, you know, a guitarist, you know, the two guys, just like Hunter and Wagner, Fallis Cooper and Lou Reed, you know, and, and Vinny he heard and about, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the brothers <laughs> thing. So, so he knew about it. I was the four year younger guy and I didn't know anything, but he brought us in uh, to the auditions. It was somewhere in Manhattan at, uh, and I, I don't know. I don't really remember if I met meat first, but I know, Joe Stefko was there. Joe Carler, of course, we all love Joe. We love Joe. And uh, and and I know that he really was excited about, um, you know, Bob and I playing dual lead guitar. I loved what you did, Todd, on the record, lead guitar wise. And you're you're I'm a huge fan of yours. But to Bob is my brother's um, kind of style was not to learn somebody else's riffs. So enter the younger brother who will do that. OK, and that's what <laughs> I did. And I remember Sonnenberg, the manager. Maybe you want to mention him or not, but I just did. But anyway, he was very happy with that, knowing that I was learning Todd's signature riffs for the important stuff. And then, of course, the live band, that touring band, really, mm -hmm. and Carla knows this for sure, uh, we really did adapt the album and bring it up a level. You know, we did even more. And um, what can I say? Uh, it, the material was great. The production on the album was great. And now how do you actually even bring this up a level to perform live when you have a, you know, 300 plus pound guy in a tuxedo yeah, right. with the beautiful Carla performing in front, you know, and, and, and what can I say? I think we did it in spades and it was a fantastic year of my life. It wasn't easy. And Carla knows that I was, it was women and children and Bruce first. Okay. To bail. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Uh, my brother would get into it sometimes with me that and it wasn't pretty, you know, and we but look, I mean, I got to play on Saturday Night Live. I got to tour the world. I got to play these arenas. I got to play with you, Todd. That was a thrill twice. You came up and played with us on at some of the arenas. First Man, time wasn't cool. so good. Second time was amazing. OK, I guard <laughs> my Stratocaster or something and you you weren't comfortable on the gear next time you came with your equipment, okay? But um, <laughs> it, it was a life-changing experience for me that I think I wouldn't have been as successful to be in KISS and survive 12 years with Gene and Paul if I didn't do meatloaf, okay? Yeah. So I, I just got to thank that Todd That toughened you that. up. Yeah, it absolutely did. It, it taught me so much, the dynamics, the, uh, the how to travel yeah. with a band, what to do. Uh, you know, and what can I say? It was, it was actually magic. It really was. Bob and I were terrific on stage. Carlo, you were so amazing. And Ellen, I always respected you and knew you were this legendary girl on the record. But I think you only maybe maybe you came up once or I met you once. I It, it wasn't that connection. But Carlo was able to embody the person that was willing to be mauled by, you know, hey, every hey, night. Hey, hey. she's a better man That's than awesome. I. She, yeah. And, and I have to admit, this Broadway thing or this vision that Steinman had was quite creative and something very, very grandiose that I wasn't really used to from anything else I did prior to that. So what an amazing experience for me. And I cannot believe how much attention uh, Meatloaf has gotten. And I think he deserves all of it. And I've been loving talking about it and sharing this time with you guys. And, and then some, right? Well, first of all, Absolutely. God bless Bob. Here's to him. 
greatly missed, of course. Yeah. Um, yes. Absolutely. Um, Carla, you're from Mokina, Illinois. I'm probably looking out. The, I'm, I'm near O'Hare. I'm looking out the window and I can see Mokina. That so, is so uh, funny. <laughs> yes. I'm like, you, one other thing, Exine Cervanka from X. She was the baby sister of my best friend in Mokina. She uh-huh. she was a White Sox fan and a tomboy. Yeah. And, yeah. and so there must have been something in the water in Mokina. That's all I can say. So <laughs> well, <they've... laughs> how did that amazing power voice that you have, how did that get involved with that amazing power dude called Meatloaf? It's a long story. I'm trying to make it short. Uh, there's uh, Meatloaf. And Steinman, I think it was Jim Steinman, uh, adored the band that I was in. It was called Orchestra Luna 2 or Luna 2. We, we would come down from Boston and play CBGBs. And, and sure. uh, Steinman just loved the band. So uh, he had asked us, uh, his, his guy had asked us to work on Neverland, which Ellen was radiant in at the uh, Washington, uh, D.C. It was before Bad Out of Hell came out. So I didn't meet any of these guys till 77. The record had been in a can since I don't know how long. That's Todd and Ellen. They'll know. Yep. Uh, but uh, so from that, we I did that in the spring of 77. We were like just the band for this musical, which was basically a musical Bad Out of Hell Neverland is what it was called. And uh, And I got a phone call. It's sometime in the summer, we had had this giant show, uh, and that's where I met Meatloaf for the first time. Uh, our, our band played at Ellis Tully Hall. It was like this crazy vaudeville rock punk jazz. I mean, it was nuts. Eight people. It was it was really fun. I in one thing I played. Uh, uh, well, forget it. Okay, long story. <laughs> we'll get it. Yeah, really too long. But bottom line is, I get a call from Jim Steinman. I was Jim. living in a house. I was living in a house in Boston with my band. And uh, and he said, do you want to come down you, and be the female person? Wow. You'll be the female singer in Meatloaf. And that's Jim, right? In that last photo, it was Jim. That's not Jim there. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> Jim's, Jim's at that piano somewhere. So uh, I came down and, uh, and kind of that was that with 35 bucks in my pocket, slept on the sofa with a couple of uh, my pals. And uh, that's how I joined Meatloaf. And I learned a lot, just like Bruce said. I mean, mm-hmm. it was such an incredible experience with Jim and me together. It was like being shot out of a cannon because we played these small. And I'm sorry that I have all these pictures. I'm sorry they asked for photos, people. What can I say? No, wow. I love it. Are you kidding? <laughs> right. and, and that's what he was talking about. Literally being, look, sure. being mauled by this 300-pound guy. I mean, look uh, where his hands were. I mean, it's amazing. Hey, oh, thank you, darling. But anyway, but long story short, it was a theater piece. I'm an actor. I was an actor first before I was a rock and roll singer. It's a theater piece. We really created, like Bruce said, (laughs) it was like this this live uh, theater piece, you know. And and well, your your background your background in Broadway kind of added add to this whole picture, right? Yeah, I did. I did like Godspell in Chicago at the Studebaker Theater. That was my first equity gig. But bottom line is, working with Meatloaf was an intense, insane, fabulous experience. And Jim Steinman, you know, being being among those two, the two, these two 
completely different but insanely strong guys it was really really wonderful it was a great experience for me and that's how i got a record deal and la di da you know all this other stuff so so many amazing nights you must have ellen um you know again like i said before i mean one of the most erotic rock pre uh, presentations i gotta say um was on that song and uh i mean you talk about iconic songs i mean I don't even know what to ask. Like, how did it all happen? I mean, it's just such an iconic thing. How did it happen? Well, I was around uh, Meet and Jim when Jim was writing the songs. We were in a in, in the bus and truck, or actually, we we drove we drove around the country in a little blue van doing the National Lampoon show. And Meet was in it, and I was in it. We were both in it as actors. And Jim came along. And he was, you know, he played the piano. He was the whole band. So anybody who saw Steinman play would know he could be the whole band because he played very hard sure. and very loud. So he would, you know, every everywhere we would go, he would find a piano and he was writing the Bad Out of Hell um, songs. And, you know, I was there during the evolution of it. And, you know, this was a long time ago. You can't expect me. I don't know. All these other people are making things up. <laughs> <laughs> As if they actually remember this. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, you know, he was writing the songs and I was in the right place at the right time. You know, he wrote Paradise. With the right voice. Let me thank just you. say, with the right voice. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Yeah. So we've got 1977, it comes out. Again, one of the biggest albums and in, in not just the rock and music history. Um, and, you know, please take us down the, the road, Todd, about your involvement. And I heard the story, uh, or I heard a reference to a story about the fact that, I don't know if, I don't, I'm not sure if I got it right. I don't know if you actually didn't take it as seriously as you probably should have at first, or you thought it was going to be kind of like a spoof to a Springsteen album or something like that. I took it exactly as seriously as it needed to be. Otherwise, <laughs> it wouldn't have been a fucking hit record. <laughs> well said. What's the spoof thing? What's the spoof situation? They played this. They auditioned. Ellen and Meat and Rory and Jim auditioned for everybody in the business. They did that performance, I don't know how many times, before a record ever got made out of it. That paradise by the dashboard light thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, immediately I thought, I put two things together. One was it had been recently that uh, Bruce Springsteen was on the cover of Time magazine being mm -hmm. declared the savior of rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> The, the Jesus of rock and roll, here he comes, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. And what's he singing about? Motorcycles, leather jackets, switchblades, you know, lonely, you know, rebel without a cause. It's back in the 50s again, you know. It's like, to me, Springsteen's whole thing was a spoof, you know. And then when I saw Meatloaf, I said, this is a spoof of a spoof. And that's the only way to look at it. You know? Oh, Todd. That's just taking Springsteen's thing and just pushing it just so way over the top. And if you don't see that to start with, you're missing the entire point. You yeah. know? It's Simon's song. Simon's songs could have been Springsteen songs. They're all about leather jackets and motorcycles and switchblades. And he loves the word night. 
You know, yeah, right. You use the word "night" in every song, and usually rhymes it with "knife." And so that don't rhyme. It just seems, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, it just seemed plainly mm -hmm. obvious to me when I saw it that the only way it would work is to look at it as a spoof of Bruce Springsteen, and that's what was in my head the entire time the record was being made, and the only way wow. I could justify. Uh, uh, Steinman's extravagances, like hiring Scooter Rizzuto or a full orchestra, you know, for this yeah. total flyer of a record that nobody wants to pay for, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I believe uh, you picked up the tab on that uh, deal. I had to pick up the tab, you know. We, uh, <laughs> you know, the way Simon Vision, so I, I, you know, I mentioned this to Simon and Simon bought me a ticket to a Springsteen show, you know, but Simon always said like, no, Springsteen, no influence at all on this, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe he thought he was influencing Springsteen, but in any case, you know, he said, nah, Springsteen, nothing to do with this, blah, 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 blah. And I knew already, you know, this was, uh, what was going on. So. We uh, hired, well, we hired half of Utopia and we hired half of the E Street Band because that's yeah, what oh, Simon right. wanted. Sure. All the while claiming, nah, it's nothing no, to do with Springsteen. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, know, right? None of that. <laughs> but I want the Springsteen rhythm section. I want Roy Bitton. I want Max Weinberg, you know. And so right. we hired them and we rehearsed because the intention was to do, you know, everything I had ever seen of Meatloaf was live. Doing the whole thing, everybody at once, you know? And so I said, we're going to do this record live. I mean, we may not capture the vocals, but the band is going to play it live. There's too much wow. There's too much rubato, speeding up, slowing down, adapting to the tempo. Some of it unintentional because Max came in, used to playing <laughs> for Bruce, where there's no tempo. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. Bruce is like always speeding up and slowing down and stuff like that, you know? So it was a hard... It was, you know, something of a, an adjustment to get Max to kind of play the tempo when we needed him to, you know. Yeah. Because of, well, yeah. because Meat Meat was not Springsteen, you know, at that point, and the singing that he did was really kind of reference vocals through the to the tracks while we were recording the tracks. We did the vocals later. So, uh, so yeah, we're about to go into the studio. We've rehearsed for like ten days because we want to do it all live. And the day before we go, we're to go into the studio, Meatloaf comes to me and says, I want off my label. He had a label. He had a label. It was actually, ironically, it was called Utopia Records, a, okay. subsidiary, a subsidiary of RCA. And I think they had probably started balking at the expense that they were running up on the record and said they weren't going to pay for it. And Meatloaf came to me and said, I want off my label. And I, and I said, well, I'm not your manager. I can't tell you, you know, <laughs> yeah. I can't get involved in that kind of stuff. But you realize, you know, that I won't get paid and the record won't get paid for, you know, if you get off your label. And he said, I, I, I'm done with them. So I went to Bearsville and said, well, put it on my tab and you'll get right of first refusal when the record is done. And when the record was done, Bearsville turned it down. Warner Brothers, the distributor, of Bearsville turned it down, and then they were on the street trying to shop what essentially was a spoof of Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you know, wow. all we could do is, is you know, we really, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Meatloaf gets uh, the, the huge props when you talk about Ben Out of Hell, but, you know, we owe you a great debt of gratitude, uh, Todd, for producing and just an amazing, an amazing so piece of art. Label, yes. What label was it on? In, in the Cleveland International. Cleveland International. Steve Popovich. Steve Popovich. Woohoo! A freaking really old-fashioned record guy. He didn't wow. sign everybody in the world. When he signed Meatloaf, he only had one other artist. I think that was Ian Hunter. And so wow. he had this record, and he just worked it and worked it and worked it and worked it. First two singles went in the toilet. <clears throat> but a bunch of things came together for Meatloaf. One was the relentless touring. You know, the Meatloaf would play anywhere. Uh, we did. The second... <laughs> The second was that Steve Popovich did not give up after the second single didn't chart. That's awesome. And the we third thing was, and the third thing was MTV. MTV came online at the same time, and they didn't have a lot of videos to play. And just mm-hmm. like regular, Toddy. and just like regular DJs, they wanted to play the longest record so they go to the roof and get high. So they they would play <laughs> Paradise by the Dashboard Light once an hour on MTV. I see that. It was played that's like right, once an right. hour, and that's, the- what, and that's what finally broke it. Wow. A combination of those things, you know. MTV definitely did wow. that. You know, Kaz, I want to ask you, being being meets uh, uh, MD and, and being with him so much musically, um, I, I don't know that uh, um, I know or our, our audience knows just how musical – you know, uh, Meat was involved with that. I mean, did he just grab the microphone, do his thing? But how, how much did he get involved in the actual musicianship of the whole deal? Well, I think, I, 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 honestly, I think most of the most of, uh, of Meat's biggest influence musically was Jim. Um, yeah. And I think that uh, that that he he really kind of took uh, he took a lot of cues from Jim and how Jim worked. So when it came to do, putting a live show together. Meet necess- wasn't necessarily a, 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 a really good musician because he would say, well, I want the piano to do something like like that. <laughs> and I want the drums to play something like, you know, like that. Like that. Could you like that? <laughs> and uh, sure. So so he wasn't really he wasn't really a musician, but he I think he heard stuff. And uh, uh, but. I think he took uh, he took a, a a big cue from from watching and working with Jim for so many years. Yeah, I kind of agree with Casman that 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 I don't remember Meatloaf much with the direction of music per se, but much more maybe more staging with Carla especially and absolutely look, yeah. look exciting as a as a performer. But I must say that Steinman definitely. How about him telling me once, make your guitar sound like a milkshake, okay? Not sure what flavor milkshake, right? Or what a milkshake sounds like on the guitar, and I know Todd can get right. that one, but that's yeah. what he wanted from me, okay? Well, so, well, Todd, uh, didn't didn't know. he didn't he give you pages and pages of notes about Mick when, uh, when it came time to mix about what he wanted stuff to sound like, the food references and stuff like that? <laughs> uh, he may have kept those, uh, but you know, I was not inclined to. Uh, to indulge them, certainly at that point. <laughs> yeah, we're right. at the end. We're at we're at the end of a process I'm paying for. You know, yeah, right, right, right. At this I point, I say what happened. So, so Todd, uh, and I'm, you know, and he wants an orchestra. You know, for something. <laughs> yeah, you know. sure. Did, did you guys mention how Todd met me? Um, it's, uh, I, I met him at. 
I met him at the audition, you know, at the audition. And I'll never oh, that one. So at Todd comes in the room. Todd comes in. We are the oldest. You and me, Car uh, Alan, sorry. Yes, yes. We are historically mm -hmm. the oldest couple here. Yes, we are, darling. But uh, so, so and Kaz, Todd, Todd is back there. No, he with, came later. With oh. his video camera, Todd comes to the uh, to the audition, and he's back there videoing it. And I'm singing away, and I just see him. I mean, Todd's literally falling out of his chair. He thinks the whole thing is so hysterical. So yeah, I guess you did think it was a joke, Todd. That's no, what I was got, talking about. He got it. See, that was that was the difference. All these other we 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 um, auditioned for every um, executive in New York, and these guys were terrified. You know, the little executives sitting in with their suit and me in these in, the, in these little uh, folding chairs, and me sweating on top of them, and us doing our thing. <laughs> Ran terrified, terrified, and then Todd comes in, and you know he got it. The same with Popovich. They're the yeah. two guys who got it. And, you well, know, made it happen. But Carla, back me up with this, please. I got to say, okay. know, you know, uh, Todd, you weren't <laughs> on the road with us, but you knew that the hard touring and taking every gig and performing and performing and performing helped break the album. But it was the CBS convention. Okay. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's when the label got totally into it. Carla. Back me up yeah. there, right? I'm backing you up completely. I MTV yet. There were videos. No, there was no MTV. There was no, no offense, MTV Todd. in 77. MTV didn't okay. exist until after I after we were off the road. It was like- 80-something, yeah. Truthfully, it, it, I was the first live guest on MTV, and that was in support of Is This a Cool World or What, which was my first album. So, but the video, the video, which was Ellen's voice and me and meets, you know, and whatever, that was played everywhere around the world. When we got to Australia, the album was right. number one based on that. When we, in Holland, every, like one out of every two households owned that album because of, well, they how, had a much, video yeah. show on every how night. Much did, uh, how much did you think Saturday Night Live uh, performance have to do with the- uh, We were already that. popular by them, but that helped. There's no doubt. That did right? help. But the old gray yeah. whistle test is what really great. broke the record, that I think, was it. in yeah, England. That was the first one. Mm -hmm. That was Paradise. They let us do the whole thing, which Saturday Night Live was afraid to do. So, so yeah, we did yeah, that, right, and then right. that broke it wide open in England, sure. and then Europe fell, and you know Canada yep. was gone, had gone nuts. So, yeah, Europe fell. They're so, they're so, <laughs> they fell. fell. Right, yeah. like it may fall now. Mussolini, all that stuff is going on. <laughs> so, so uh, the, right now, I just think you, that this we is really, so great. Yeah, this is so great to hear all this whole story. Yeah, that yeah well, well, Carl and I are going down memory stuff. lane. It's crazy. You know, I know, it's ridiculous. Everybody, but everybody jump in and say, on the old gray stuff. whistle test, there it is. Yeah. That's really important. <laughs> that was like the place to be in, in, in the UK to perform in, in London. Yep. On the, and I blow your riff. Todd, I was like, I, I nearly wanted to just show me, you know, put, put a black bag over my head, take me out of the room, shoot me. Okay. Well, but you, anyway, you know that that, you know, that that's just been recently on, you know, as soon as meatloaf died, they start yes. putting together. Yes, of course, of course. Documentaries, what can I say? You know, documentaries uh, out of, out of old documentaries that yeah, they had right. made yeah. before, right. but, the right. last, okay. but they played the, the entire, they in, Play the entire old gray whistle test. I know they did. Oh, cool! It's amazing. But I'll tell you the, the, thing, the, the thing that I noticed already by then. Yep. Rory's doing the high notes. 
Uh, well, yeah. Already Rory by has, then. Rory's doing the high notes. Carmine Mute. Yeah. Rory Mute, has it one wasn't of the always easy voices. for him with uh, yeah. everything going on on the road. But I yeah. still feel like that that convention, they pumped the money in, then all of a sudden we got on the radio and the thing took off like a bat out of hell, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden we're in arenas. But and I, I, now we're we're going everywhere. Australia, fat out of hell. He passes out. Fat you know, out of the hell. Oxygen. She knows. He we he so falls a, off the stage in and Ottawa, we're still performing two weeks so later sad. in a in a wheelchair. Okay, I mean you know talk about uh, being yeah. over the top. Hey guys, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Hanging and Banging right here on Artists on Lockdown. No, I was just saying that, that the England thing was the most remarkable part about it because the album right. didn't leave the English charts for like twenty years. Correct. It was on the English exactly. chart. And the now English it's back went, on, of course. The British went for it in a way that's just incomprehensible, mm -hmm. you know? I know. Because they they had this whole faux 50s experience. You know, they had their teddies. You know, remember the mm -hmm. teddies and the moths? Teddies. The teddies would wear the leather jackets and they would ride motor scooters around, you know, because they couldn't afford big bikes and stuff like that. But they considered <laughs> themselves bikers, you know? And so they had this whole 50s thing that was modeled after the American... You know, Rebel, you know, Marlon Brando, Rebel Without a Clue, James all that Dean, yeah. You know, stuff Without like James Dean. It, the English always imagined that they had gone through, you know, this uniquely American experience. And so sure. they had, Milo kind of recreated for that for them in such a vivid way, you know, that they just gobbled it up for years and years and years and years. Yeah. And it didn't matter, you know, mm -hmm. that even in the latter years, he would come on, sing two songs and leave. You know, they would still buy a ticket to the show. Yeah. It was Absolutely. amazing. Well, it was because he represented, I think, every man out there. You know, this giant, mm -hmm. sweating, huge persona. <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't the cute little guy like you were, Todd, or, or Chasm, or whoever. All you, guys, <laughs> you know, he didn't have the, you know, pipe pants. Or, did, you know, I mean, he just went out there and he just laid it all out there. And I guess that's. That's you got you got that whole full slab of meat is what you got on stage. No yeah. hiding nothing. So we talked about meat musically. Real Let's let yeah, real dude here. Let's talk about meat as uh, as a performer on stage. I know Carla. I, I I think you know, and you'd agree that part of the reason, not only obviously your vocal ability, but you were asked to be part of it because of your Broadway experience, your theatrical experience, because it seemed like. That's what the meatloaf experience was, almost like the Alice Cooper shows. I mean, it's a very theatrical experience. Um, let's talk about meat on the road. I want to start with Paul and work backwards because, Paul, you were working with them as of late um, since, like we said, uh, uh, right after uh, uh, 2002 and we're on the road with them. Tell me, meatloaf, uh, on the road as you saw it. And then I'd like to go backwards and, and how some of the pioneers, uh, their experiences with, uh, with uh, meat on the road. Paul? Yeah, okay. Uh, Meatloaf on the road uh, in my tenure was uh, very um, unpredictable. Uh, he, uh, well, he passed out every night. A every show he was on the ground. And really? Got, yeah, right. I'm sure we've all seen that, right? But I mean, um, of exhaustion or? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Exhaustion. It was and, real? You know, well, no, I'm, I'm sure there was some theater in there. There's some okay. drama in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Right. He, yeah, he would, uh, he would, he would drop on my. Well, actually, Casm. Uh, when I when I first came in, Casm was MD, as he as he mentioned, 
and we did, um, Kaz and I worked together until about what, 2011, right, Kaz? Mm-hmm. That's about right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then from that point, I, I took over Kazan's position. I had to fill the void there. I, I wasn't asked to do it. It was a matter of survival, really, because no one would step up. <laughs> so I, yeah, I stepped up and just I got in the hot seat and I just took it and went. And uh, so, uh, you know, being a music director for him, it was very challenging. Uh, he was a very uh, uh, dynamic personality, uh, difficult at times, uh, and also very loving at times. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, on tour again, every day, I didn't know what to expect. I would look at his assistant, Francis, when she came on the bus, depending upon her mood, I knew what we were in for that day. Okay, good point. You know? Yeah. Good point. Carla, how about you? I mean, how much of what you guys did on stage was actual choreography versus you feeling each other's face? Oh, I think you're muted. There you go. Thank you. When I got the gig, you know, here it is. Ellen's great vocal, amazing vocals on the record. It's like, okay, but we have to create a show. I said to Steinman, because Steinman really was kind of the, I felt in rehearsal, Steinman was like in control of what he was, you know, the music. I I felt that way, Bruce. I mean, this may not be Mm -hmm. how you experienced it, but completely. And it was his vision. You know, it's Steiny. I mean, he's like a genius. So, so I said to him, so Steinman, you know, cause in rehearsal, we never did any of that. We didn't kiss, right. we didn't want to. I said, so Steinman, so what's gonna happen when we, you know, we get on stage, what's supposed to happen during there in paradise? And he goes, you'll figure it out when you get up there. <laughs> uh, that was it, it was, it was it. And then I had studied uh, at Second City in, uh, with Joe Forsberg and uh, so Murray. that was like, Right. We were in the children's theater. Joe Forsberg was running it there. So uh, I I felt like that kind of helped me. Just, and the two of us really did click as, as far Absolutely. as you want to call it, as, as far as that works. But, uh, but you know, so that the excitement was there. He, he had, it was like the point of the arrow. He was, you know, it was an arrow and meat was the point of it. But it was Jim's over everything. I don't know. I felt that way, Bruce. I don't know if you felt that yeah, way. Yeah, no, but there yeah. was something about the way the two of you could perform Paradise that was yeah. remarkable. And it was a Thank little you. different every night. And I yeah. did really feel that I was part of a impromptu theater experience. Although I think I'm scarred for life from it. I watched a little bit of it <laughs> on one of the German shows and I was just like, right, and, and my right. wife, Lisa, by the way, this album was like, a, you know, soundtrack of her, you know, childhood, a teenage, yeah. a, a, knew that record every note. And, and of course, uh, when we watched it and relived it and saw how you embodied Ellen's voice and, and what that song is about, it's just genius, the whole thing. And then the performance of it mm-hmm. matched the, you know, the power of the music. And that's very hard to do, okay? So that's why I'm so proud of what we did. I, and I love the record so much. And I just had a quick question, Todd. When you talked about live, you had to record the record. Your guitar work as well? Everything. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, we wow. did that. We did that record. What Todd? It took us about what a week and a half to record. Well, you know, we did you know, a song, song a day, half. something like that. You but know? if you're yeah. producing wow. everything and then you're live with them, that's that's great. And then crazy. Maybe, I didn't know. You know. I might, maybe that's I might have been, the magic. Well, I might have been playing from the control room as well. Okay. So. Wow. 
So I think even you were. Like, I don't, like, like, I'm not like sure that I recall and... exactly, but I think I may have been playing from the control room. Yes, from, from you the were. control room. That would make sense. So that I can hear. So I could hear everything. Sure. You know, kind of in context. Yeah. yeah. No, That's I know. Genius you used to of while you were sure. recording. I know that you 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 knew what you you would combine things immediately. I heard that. Right. Well, you make decisions. Yeah. Sidebar production. Sidebar. There's a lot of different styles, you know, but the problem with the evolution of technology is it created more options and people stopped making decisions. So I tend to make yep. decisions while the thing, I'm moving it constantly toward a certain place. I'm not just mm -hmm. creating more options and then deciding later. I'm constantly moving it toward a certain place. Got it. And so if I hear something that sounds right, like an EQ, or a reverb or an effect or something like that. I print. It just keep that. Yeah. I, I I agree with that, and I I I've done that many times. I love this delay. I don't care. You're not supposed to do that till later. No, I know. I know. Todd didn't do that with Bad Out of Hell. I swear to you. So thank yeah. you. It's good. So, it's a good technique. So, Feel I'm free thinking, to use that excuse, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Ellen, I mean, so being part of that must have been incredible. I I had no idea you did it live, Todd, like that. I mean. That makes it more theatrical. That makes mm -hmm. it, uh, I mean, that may make the record what it is. I guess it does. So maybe well, you know, you take, it takes it, that. take Bad Out of Hell itself. How many different tempos are in that song? You know? Yeah, <laughs> that was, and, and we did that live. We did it live. Yeah, did that's the, crazy. Live, wow. live end to end, you know? Right. We might patch some, somebody makes a screw up somewhere <clears> in there, you know, right. we patch the screw up, but otherwise, mm. you know. All actually, actually, there was there was one point, Todd, where you were talking about tempos earlier, and and and, and I was getting frustrated as as the bass player playing with Max, whose tempo was like you know all over the place, and I said, liquid, I liquid tempo. Saying, yeah. I remember saying to him, "You think maybe we should do this with a click?" and he got he got upset with me and says, "That's why Bruce loves me because I never I never finish a song at the same tempo that I started." Yeah. <laughs> oh. I love that. I, That's what Vinny does seemed, too. It, it does seemed that. obvious, <laughs> right? Actually, right? Wow. Yeah. How would it? So, so let me I, ask I remember you, I remember yes. being. Um, you know, you talked to you talked earlier about. Uh, trying to deal with with the different uh, levels of professionalism but Simon and I were in we were uh, in the in the control room and um I guess maybe we were we were doing uh you were doing the track to um paradise and Simon and I were giving you all these yes it should be like that moment on the um on the on the terrace in West Side Story, and you're like, get the fuck out of here! <laughs> Who are these idiots? Who are what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> get the fuck out of here! <laughs> no, but it's oh. really it's it. No, yeah, no. Everybody's got Sorry. an opinion, you know. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I got, we got we've got Carla, we've got Ellen, and you know, two obviously <laughs> amazing voices. But I'm so excited about uh, your your new, re relatively new yes. release that yes. you guys uh, have done together. Tell me about that. Fighting Words. Yes, Fighting so my, words. I did an album. Uh, it's called Fighting Words. Came out last summer, and Carla does a duet with me on it called "I'm Just Happy to Be Here." And oh, the guy cool. who who writes all my material, you know, the second album we've done together, named guy named Paul Faglino. I said because Carla and I, we really. 
you know, we hadn't really had a relationship. Right. And, you know, in my mind for years, you know, it was like, eh, that Carla DeVito, you know, because everybody <laughs> thought that she sang the record. But then, you know, that that was that was way in the past. But she and I both performed at a um, a tribute to Jim at a club in New York. What year was that, Kay? That was in 2015. Right. So, and and so something just clicked. She and I started talking and, you know, I just fell in love with her. Um, and so I said to Paul, I said, you know, uh, I, I would love for Carla to sing. And it's not, it's, it's, you know, I had, I had my little business hat on too. Cause I'm like, people would want to hear us sing together. I, I said, fabulous. you know, maybe, maybe it should be like, yeah, you know, you did this, you did this. He goes, I'm not writing that crap. And no. he, he wrote this beautiful, truly uplift, uplifting song about, you know, I'm just happy to be here and now. And we made this great video. I mean, you all have to check this out. Made yeah. a great video where she and I, she lives in Oregon. I'm, I'm in New York. I'm walking on the street, singing the choruses now, the verses. But I mean, the choruses. But the verses are talking about, you know, what was and and we used a lot of archival stuff from our performing back in the day. So it's a very cool video and it's a fabulous song. Well, you and know, besides your voices, <laughs> besides your voices that would draw us to the record, I love the description um, that would make me buy it with sight unseen vintage jukebox Americana. I mean, who doesn't love that? Yeah, mm. it's so good. Uh, it's so I, good. I'm I've got to say. I, she should be proud. I listen to it nonstop in my car, which is the way I love to listen to music, you know, the most. But it is such a, sure. here she is. I'm not naming numbers, Foley, but we're older yeah. babes. Yeah. And she, she just kicks ass on this record. It's a wonderful record. Paul Foglino, Foglino is that the correct Foglino, yeah. Incredible job of songwriting. And and it's just, I, you know, here she is. And she got but all when these you got kudos. That Carla, when when you got that call, were you like, "Are, are you serious?" Is, is it? No, no, because we had already we you know we had uh, done the uh, Simon uh, event, and then we also with Paul Crook right. went to Nashville uh, in 2016 to record right. on "Braver Than We Are," which was a Steinman song. Uh, it was called. Uh, there's so many titles. There's six parts. What is it, it Paul, called, Paul? Paul? What is it, Paul? Yeah, yeah "Braver Than We Are." It's okay. just braver okay. than we are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. The song, but the song we sang on, uh, you know, it was like a trio with meat. And it was really exciting to wow. just like go back and do that. And, you know, we both kicked butt in the studio. And Paul, you were amazing. You working oh. with Meatloaf. Me He's seeing you yeah, with Meatloaf. You totally, you're like the ultimate in calm and wow. and Nate was Nate was very oh. focused with you. He felt, you. you know, it was like really, it was fabulous. So we had a I tell you, recording that. recording with Meatloaf in 2016 was yeah. quite a different experience than recording with him in 1977. He was pretty chill, oh, sure. you know. It's like yeah, mellow. He huh? wasn't he wasn't stomping yeah. around with his shirt and no pants on, nothing like that. <laughs> well, he, he, he was when you weren't there. He was. <laughs> well, it was. It was at his house. He wasn't was walking. Home. Well, yeah. He wasn't well, we, walking we, we rented a house in Nashville. Doors. It was somebody's nice, nice house. Yeah. yeah. You guys, does anybody have um, any insight, um, either back in the day or later in his career, 
on uh, on the whole Rocky horror thing. Did, did it? Was he happy he did it? Was he kind of? Oh yeah, well, you know, oh, yeah. proud yeah. of it till the end. Why not? Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We were in Philadelphia on tour, and he and I went to the uh, to the theater to see it. He had never seen it, and there were like three people in the audience. And it's a you know, it's obviously it's like it's like bad out of hell. It's it's something that lives forever. You know, people still love it and go to the movies and sing to it. And he had done it, you know, on stage too. He had done the and, stage production. Oh yeah, and that's they, right. He was on Broadway with that. Yeah. I saw it. Before you saw I him ever on, meet on Broadway? Yeah. I saw I him on Broadway in the Rocky Horror him? Show. Wow. Was before, that before I ever got involved with him? Before I ever met him. No. Yeah. That was the only reason why it kind of rung a little bell when uh, I think it was Moogie Klingman came to me and said, you know, Moogie. You... Meet Loaf. Moogie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Moogie Klingman essentially introduced me to Meat Loaf and, uh, and the Entourage. Mm -hmm. And uh, he. This was under some sort of arrangement where, you know, like I was so busy with productions. I was doing a lot of records then, and he wanted to get into production. So he said, if I come to you with something, you know, and you decide to do it, you know, I'll do all the grunt work and stuff like that. And then I'll get a co-producer credit. Well, apparently that wasn't the understanding that he had with Meatloaf. Meatloaf only wanted an introduction to me and he didn't want... Yeah. Uh, Moogie involved. So Moogie was there all through rehearsals. And right before we got to the record, Simon comes to me and says, can you fire this guy? <laughs> you know, oh, we don't want him involved oh. in the record, you know, and we mm -hmm. had to essentially, oh, I had to essentially, even before the record was oh. made, I, I had to work out a deal to buy him out of the record <laughs> before no the record wow. had even been made. That was just the beginning of the drama and the personnel. and the Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that was, yeah. a lot of drama. Who yeah, paid for the, did you know who the, paid for the buyout open for us? Carl? Well, melodrama. Yeah, it like <laughs> it's melodrama. Melodrama. The whole story is melodrama in the end. You know, I thought one of the most interesting statements by anybody. You know, I mean, we it can be you know arguably Clive Davis, one of the biggest geniuses in in, in music producing, and that can go so and many different directions as well. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, that's, that's absolutely go, you know, and not the good crook like Paul. Um, oh. But uh, uh, we, that could be sa stated. But I thought one of the most interesting statements made by this big person of music producing uh, when he, I guess he passed on the project when he said that actors don't make records. So he didn't want nothing to do with meatloaf. Uh. Yeah, there, you go. there, yeah. there was prejudice. I, I think actually Linda Ronstadt changed that when she started on Broadway because yeah, right. that was the first time they started going, oh, there could be a connection or whatever. So you, you took over for her, didn't you? I took it's over, yeah. Attention. Yeah, that's that's actually why I'm not. But she on... made records first. She oh, started no, out making records. Exactly, but it was like a reverse yeah. prejudice for Broadway at that time. So in other <laughs> words, if you were a recording artist, oh, you can't be a Broadway star, darling, you know, so. So I think that was part of I think that was part of it back then. But uh, yeah. So yeah. Do we Fun. know if there's any Fun. Uh, whatever? Do we know if there's any possibility of any uh, new meatloaf music hanging around somewhere that may come out? Do we know anything? Paul Crook. Paul Crook. Yeah, Paul would know. Mm, no, there's nothing. 
Nothing. No. No. We have. Um, I have a bunch of uh, board mixes, uh, multi-track board mixes, mm-hmm. uh, going back to uh, the late '80s. Uh, huh. That Meat wanted to. He wanted me to mix down, and release. And there's also the Bat of the Hell demos that Alan is uh, on. Obviously, I think it's mm-hmm. Alan. You, you could probably know. It's, I think it's you. Uh, Steve, Rory, Dodd, and me on these uh, demos that were live to tape. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'd love I to hear those. those. Yeah, I, I cleaned them up for Meatloaf, um, and they were, uh, but there was uh, some kind of obviously some some legal issues between Meatloaf uh, and uh, the Steinman Estate, uh, you know, Sonnenberg. So, uh, yeah. it's there's there's some gray gray area there to where I don't know if these demos will ever will ever reach the public. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're ever will. Yeah. But we can only hold at least pieces. Yeah, but but the board mixes, I do plan on on, on doing that and I, I will deliver them to uh to Meets Estate for their great. You know, oh that's great. Yeah, please. Yeah, Who knows what could happen. Yeah. So, hey, you know, I, I have a question I... though, please. I have one question please for Todd and Chasm. Uh I for some reason I'm am I correct in thinking that Willie Wilcox Willie Wilcox played drums on two out of three? Yeah, no. he did. No, he did. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah we did. tried three drummers. Max couldn't play it slow enough. Yeah. Then um, <laughs> and Andy Newmark interesting. came in. Oh, and interesting. Andy Newmark, Andy Newmark did a version of it, and he couldn't play it slow enough either. And Willie was Willie's on the record. Right on. And Todd ah. also, Todd also on um, on Paradise. You're not playing guitar in that, huh? The rhythm guitar is that correct? Uh, I think it might be. Uh, is it a uh, steel the, guitar? The, the drop, the, no, the drop D guitar. You know, there's a drop D on there. Uh, not, you know, I can't say that I remember clearly. I know that there's some uh, steel guitar, and I think that it might be Rick Derringer. Oh, oh wow! Wow! wow. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. that that's cool. Huh. Maybe, you know, I'm just saying a maybe, but Rick Derringer was the only steel guitar, only guy that played, that I knew that played steel guitar at the time. So, so th- there were no other guitar players in, in the session with you? Nope. Wow. Okay. All right. It's true. Genius. Now, we're, we're, uh, we're obviously, you know, winding down on the hour here, but I cannot let you guys go without a final um, moment that you could share with us a, 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 a wonderful moment on the road, personal moment, as personal as you'd like to make it or a great memory of uh, between you and me. I'm going to start with you, Kaz. <laughs> um, oh God. <laughs> Meat, meatloaf. We were in England. Uh, I think I, it was during it's sob the, sister uh, here. Uh, we there you go. Do, we were I'm doing a sob the, sister. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we would, we were doing um, Wembley. I think we were playing Wembley, like multiple nights at Wembley Arena. So Meat got a little sick, and and everybody here knows that he's he's really a big baby at, at heart. You know, he's just a big <laughs> adorable. Baby. And uh, and he took a tr- a tremendous amount of over the counter cold medicine. Um, oh. You know, like paracetamol and Benadryl and Sudafed, and oh. just. He, just kept taking things to try to make himself not be sick. And he took so many that um, he couldn't get out of bed. And he called me in my room. He said, Kaz, Kazzy, 
I don't feel good. Can you come over here? Oh, my gosh. And and I went over, and I kind of, like, you know, sat on the bed with him. And I said, what did you take me? (laughs) Well, I took this and this and this and this. And I said, me, what are you doing? You can't do that. You can't. You're, like, you know, you're drinking, like, Tylenol, uh, like, um, uh, Alka-Seltzer Cold Plus and on top of that Benadryl. It was just really touching because he was – he he just he, it was always but meatloaf. It's always about the show. It's always about the yeah. show. He really yeah. was just about the performance Devoted. and yeah, yeah, and just get you know and and he didn't want to feel bad because we had a show the next day or something like that. Sure, so that's my sad meatloaf story. How about how about uh, you, Bruce? Well, I got to admit that uh, you know meatloaf did things in extreme. Okay, there's no doubt, and I can never forget. One time, you know, our rider was not really elaborate, even though, of course, all the promoters wanted to give us meatloaf cakes and meatloaf backstage. You know, Carla knows with the cream cheese ice cream, uh, icing rather on top, which was disgusting. But um, (laughs) I remember there would be like a bag of Oreo cookies, you know, the, you know, there's two, you know, dark chocolates with the with the cream filling. Right. And Bob and I, you know, we like chocolate. We were looking forward to it after sound check, and we went backstage, and the bag is empty, totally empty. Okay. Oh man. And then we see Meat coming down the hall, and we go, Meat, what, what happened to the cookies? You know, and he, he goes, I don't know. <laughs> and, and his teeth were black. He ate the entire bag of Oreo cookies. Okay. And you got to love them, though. But, you know, it's like what you said. But, but as soon as you started talking about all the cold medicines and everything you took to mm. to the 10th degree, it made me think of a mm. cookie story, you know, that my yeah. brother and I had. But he, he you know, he really uh, I was very, very fortunate, even though it was quite a few years back. But, you, you know, and Kasman, you, you've done the rock and roll fantasy camp, you know, with Fish Off and yeah. some of, you know, Vinny, of course. Um, he was a special guest at one of them. And he was incredible. Wow. Because when he went from room to room to listen to the band, I actually captured some of it on video working with my band and how he, everything that he thought about, all the tips that he wanted to share was much much more from the performing side of things than so much the musical, okay? And that's how I think he embodied himself. He was this this, giant uh, of a performer and that's why you can't take your eyes off of him whenever he was on stage. And that's the legacy, and that's why he's looking very, very, uh, in, you know, famous forever now with his passing. But wow, every every press thing I've seen from him, it's just, um, I, it blows my mind that I worked with him for a year. It yep. really, really is something yep. I'm quite proud of, and I, I still keep in touch with quite a few of those members of the band. And it's how I got to meet you, Todd, which I was thrilled about at a young age, even though I worked with you at one of the corporate camps for David. Remember, you know, I met you there too. So uh, it, it's been it's been really uh, emotional for me on many levels. But again, I, I've been trying to stay positive about the whole thing and look at the you know how how much how many people are celebrating his music sure. and what he left behind his legacy. Absolutely, Paul. How about you? You know, in 2011, I uh, I reached out to Meatloaf uh, because Steve Popovich had passed away and his family had asked me to. Uh, they wanted him to speak at his uh, funeral. And I hadn't talked to meet in years. And I called him like three times. And he's like, okay, okay, Carl, I'm gonna try. 
you know, and and then and I said to the Popovich's, I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not. He said he wants to. I know he wants to because Steve did so much for his career. So he showed up. He was phenomenal. So, so I, I can't really think about him in a historical kind of position. I just think of him as the guy I was just talking to in September, October, November. He just he was talking to me. I don't know what was real or not, but Paul, he was talking about going on tour. He asked me if I'd go on tour with him. He was talking through. Uh, he said he's going to record some things. But his best voice is better than ever. He actually sounded, I thought, pretty great on a thing that Paul did with him with, uh, oh, the Huckabee show, which I would never normally watch. But the, yeah. the guy interviewed him. It was a great, it was like a 10 minute great interview. Meet was hilarious. And then he went and he actually sang well. And there was like a great band together and like six singers. I mean, it really supported him. And I thought, oh, he could do this, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, and, and he loved my husband's music. There was a song my husband wrote that he for two years held on to. Because he, so it was called, um, I can't even remember the title right now, but Francis, his assistant, actually texted me and said, Could you please get it for me? Because that was the only song Meat said uh, made him cry every time he heard wow. it, like Left in wow. the Dark. So I, I feel really, I have a very emotional feeling. And then I was lucky enough that Paul and that uh, Paul had told, given uh, Pearl and Amanda the info to, to mm -hmm. contact me. I spoke to him into his ear, Robbie and I did the day he died. So it was like, I I really haven't talked about it since, yeah. you know, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't. But there had to be a, there had to be a moment. I mean, you're the one on stage that's eye to eye with him. A oh, couple times. well, if you talk so, past, yeah. there's always moments. He, he hip checked me off the stage during <laughs> Paradise mm -hmm. in Melbourne. I landed like 10 feet down on the guy in the first row's lap. It was a, giant theater situation. I did not get hurt. And the great thing is he held character and so did I. He reached down and he goes, what are you doing down there? Get up. And he like reached down and pulled me up on the stage. I mean, you know, so that might be one of the, but also him during paradise, I never knew that he threw a mic stand over my head every night wow. when I was, when I was bent down. So I'm bent down. And one night I just go, I think I'll get up a little early. It oh. almost hit me in the head. And the band members, nobody told me, whatever, that that happened. So I'm like, yeah, really, Bruce, you're in trouble. <laughs> That's funny. And one, and one last thing, quick. The, the sure. live band was amazing. Joe Stepko on drums, uh, Steve Buslow on bass, the two yes. Culex, outrageous, and Steinman playing. I mean, and Paul Glantz, he played Paul keyboards. He played keyboards the second. Too, yeah. He was really wonderful. The whole it was, band was incredible. It was, it was pretty incredible. It was a great lesson and a life lesson for me. Yes, Watching the whole thing explode from, you know, a hole in the wall clubs to these giant yep. stadiums. It was insane. And and I learned of a lot of things that I wouldn't do mm -hmm. if I ever became that famous, which I didn't. <laughs> which I How didn't, about you, Paul? Our... What yeah. is your memory? Uh, give me a memory of uh, of me that's gonna you're going to take to your grave. Uh, the recent, most recent, um, sitting by him at at the hospital in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, I, I, uh, I, oh, I bent geez. down to kiss him, say, you know, tell him I love him and he kissed me in the cheek. And then I, uh, I said to him, you know, Hey boss, I, I called him boss. I never called him meat. I said, Hey boss, uh, you're one in 8 billion. And he, and he looked at me, you know, very, you know, very weak. And he went, he went like this, he went like this. 
<laughs> like that. You gave, you, you gave me the finger. And that's it. It's the greatest thing. I it's love like, that. It's the greatest. Like, great. A kiss and a finger. How, there you go. How about you, Ellen? <laughs> this is so hard. I just keep thinking about those times in where we met Todd in NOLA Studios on 57th Street. And sitting back there, you know, we're sitting on our little our little uh, metal chairs waiting for these, you know, uh, music uh, executives to march in. And, you know, you would he would ask me to hold his hand and, you know, because he wasn't sure if he was good enough or if this was good enough. And he, when I think back on it, it, it felt like, well, I'm, I did that part. I, you know, I got up there and sing, but hopefully, you know, holding his hand because people ask me about me, what he was like. You know, I said, you know, um, I think he was a lonely kid always. Uh, mm -hmm. His mom died. He felt sort of deserted. So, you know, he really looked to, I think, women friends, mainly, uh, largely, to, you know, to give him the support that he needed and the love. And I just think of moments like that. Todd, how about you, buddy? A uh, little known fact, unless you've read my book. Uh, <laughs> There's a book? <laughs> There's a plug. We got to uh, read it. Uh, great book. Meatloaf got married at my house. Oh, right. Oh, my God. I remember. Yeah. Uh, and I was there from the very beginning of his relationship with Leslie. Right. Leslie was a Leslie. reception. Leslie Loaf. Yeah. She was the yeah. receptionist at Bearsville Records upstate in Bearsville. And, you know, she's quite pretty and quite stacked, you know, and everybody, you know, was <laughs> stacked. Very. Stacked. <laughs> You're you showing know, your age, man. She was I think stacked. everyone was hubba, like, hubba, you know, Todd. hubba hubba, hubba hubba, yeah, okay. And uh, I don't know what would they say nowadays, but and what would the kids Nothing. say? Nothing. Okay, That's the but I, but I, yeah, I know you'll get in trouble. But oh. I, I remember the point in which he first started making his uh, his uh, moves Move. on her. <laughs> His move or his moves on her, you know. Uh, we were at the Bear Cafe, not the little bear, the Chinese restaurant, but the one that's now closed. Uh, and he invited her over. I was there, and Meet was there at the table, and and me, Meet, and Leslie. And he presented her with a giant salmon that he had brought all the way from New York. <laughs> a, a whole salmon, a whole smoked salmon. All wrapped up in brown paper. You know, yeah. I don't know where he got it, you know, which was essentially his like, you know, bear like proposal <laughs> to her. You know, here, look, I got you. I got I'm you. I'm surprised he didn't have it in his mouth and it was flipping. I got around. that I salmon, you yeah, know. Right. And then they had the wedding at my house, which was a whole circus in itself because it had snowed. <laughs> it had there. snowed right. It had snowed right before it. You know that so people had i lived up on a hillside so people had a hard time just getting up to the house in the first place that was a whole circus to start with the uh pastor that they had hired to do the ceremony was like 95 years old and he had like a retainer with him and the retainer had to whisper everything into his ear you know the entire ceremony he had to whisper the entire ceremony in the in his ear and he looked at me and said, 
do you, Leslie, take more? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the first thing he said, you know, do you, Leslie, take Marvin? <laughs> and because he got the names mixed up. And so, like, so then they finally got married. I remember the whole crew had custom jackets made, right. you know, like it was a gig. <laughs> Like it was yeah. a special gig, you know, in the back and stuff like that. Then the real fun began when everybody tried to get out of my driveway. <laughs> you, I mean, you haven't seen so many like old white men trying to direct traffic, you know. No, no, no. Back up. No, no. You back up, you know. It went on for an hour. Everyone trying to leave after me's wedding because everything was so slushy and slippery. And... That may be kind of like the last intimate moment I ever spent with me because we recorded the tracks for the, what was supposed to be the second album. Right. Discovered very early on that me could not sing it because he, <laughs> yeah. the ab abuse he had gone through promoting the first record, you know, he had lost part of his range and, um, and that was the last I ever worked with Meatloaf, except for a, a, uh, sometime in the two aughts when Desmond Child was trying to revive oh, right. his career. And I sang background on, on one of the songs. That was the very last time I saw Meat. Um, um, so I can't speak as like someone who's worked with him beyond making a record or socialized with him much or anything like that. I don't have any of those kind of stories. I only have rumors that these other people have told me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we cleared some of them up tonight. Hey, Vinny, what do you think about this freaking crowd, uh, this, this group that we had tonight? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, the stories, like Carmine said earlier, were unbelievable. You know, I like it, the fact that uh just like anything in the music business he got turned down so many times and then think sold 43 million records it's perfect yep who's yeah, running the music you? industry is, isn't yeah, it's it like 45 <laughs> or 45 45 million now yeah how about yep. you carmine what do you think about this cast we had tonight well, i'm watching the olympics I, no, no, I'm actually, I'm watching Blue Ice the Cult on the screen here, because they're on now. <laughs> and you, Chasm, you know them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw, actually, I can see them behind you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there they are. <laughs> anyway, I was, uh, it was an amazing, it was an amazing, oh, yeah. uh, uh, a bunch of stories, a lot of things I didn't yeah. know, but I know a lot of the people that are involved, you know, Max and uh, your brother, Bob, and you know, and uh, so many people, so many names. It was awesome yeah. to, to hear the background of this. I don't think it's ever been told like this anywhere. Not like this. No, we got to do it. We got to do this again. But we are going to uh, we are going to wind down here. I got one last thing. I'm going to go to each and every one of you. But, um, you know, obviously uh, I miss you, Meet. But um, you had the opportunity to say one more thing to him. Carla, what would you say? Oh, boy. Uh <sighs> Just how much, I guess, I, looking back after losing him, it's easier to think of something. I, how much I appreciate his enthusiasm, his kind of adorable insanity. I mean, the power that he threw into everything. I, I just yeah. really appreciate seeing that intensity and, and the big heart that he had, even among all of that, you know. So I guess that's it. How about you, Bruce? What would you say to him? 
Well, I want to thank him for it. He, he had nicknames for my brother and I live. And it was Killer <laughs> for my brother and Pretty Boy for me. And I kind of really <laughs> did like that, you know. Yes. But, but I'd also tell him, I, I really realize now um, with, with, with his passing how much respect and love I really had for him as a person, not only as a performer. And even though, it, you know, he drove me, you know, pretty crazy during the tour, because he was out of control and he was the 800 pound gorilla, you know, as, as meatloaf and Carla knows. Um, but I wish we could have had one more chance to do it again, even if it was just a show, you know, I really yeah. do regret that. And one last thing I wanted to mention, a buddy of mine in the industry actually bought a cameo from him back in late 2020 for me. So meatloaf, you know, cameos, if you do three to five minutes, that's like, woohoo. Cause some of them are one minute long, you know, there's, you know, celebrity shout outs. And he did 45 minutes. Oh. Okay. And, and he's been known for doing long ones. Cause I've heard other people tell me that, but yeah. for 45 minutes, he just sat there. My wife and I watched and I was fascinated of course, because the, the missing part is that there's no conversation like what we're having, of course, but he went on some mm -hmm. stories about the road, Carla, some stories about my brother. Wow. It was very touching. And yeah. I, I was just totally blown away by it. And it was like, I didn't even know how to, like kind of digest it, you know. So I would tell me that I, I really miss him and love him. And thanks for the, you know, thanks for those memories. Thanks for that opportunity to do that tour. Paul, how yeah. about you? Uh, yeah, same as Bruce. I, I, I think I would say to my boss is I, I'm internally grateful. Uh, uh, he taught me so much uh, about the stage and um, about the business too. I learned so much about the business through him yeah. and uh, i i'm i'm grateful i said boss i love you i'm so grateful thank you ellen how about you i would say, what would you say to me i would say thank you meat uh that was the first record i ever sang on <laughs> and because of you here i am sitting talking to all these wonderful people yeah 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 that's 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 really true nice. Kaz. Yeah, I, I would just say thanks. I, I really appreciated the, the time that I got to work with him uh, live and on records. Um, so just a big thank you. And Todd, what do you think? What would you say to Meatloaf if you had one more chance? Well, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, and as I say, I didn't have a uh, the kind of relationship that a lot of these other people had with him. I only, you know, it was purely professional, more or less, but I would have said as we started that second record, slow the hell down. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just, just slow down, you know. Uh, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> life is brief, art is long, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, mm -hmm. Just take take it easy for a while. You're, you know, you've done a whole lot already. Yeah. Just, you know, try not to beat yourself to death through the rest of it. And um, and yeah. I think that, you know, he would have been, if he had taken it seriously, maybe wouldn't have lost his voice so much, you know, mm -hmm. the thing that made him what he was, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, he would have um, taken better care of himself and yeah. uh, and might still be here today. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, Paul, February 24th out here in Des Plaines, uh, we're going to have the Neverland Express Band uh, with Caleb Johnson from American Idol, I believe. 
And, um, you know, the band is all members who played, obviously yourself, who play with Meatloaf. What can the crowd expect from that show? We do the uh, entire Bat Out of Hell album. We play the whole thing all the way through. And wow. then we do, the, yeah, mm-hmm. then we do Choice choice of the, the popular songs of Bat Out of Hell, too, that we all know. And that takes us to, that takes yeah. us to 90 minutes, you know, right there. I mean, only seven mm-hmm. songs at a bat, you know, and then three out of bat two, and you're at 90 minutes, you know. That's incredible, man. Yeah. Well, you know, we, 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 uh, we all thank, obviously, you know, Meatloaf for what he's given to all of us. But truly, from all of us fans, guys, um, thank you, folks, for giving us the recorded material, the live tours, the memories, uh, the product that you put out that's going to allow us, that's going to, as, as Todd put it so well, how life is short and art is long. Well, the art of all of you will live through um, through Meatloaf's uh, uh, music. And and thank you guys for, for being with us tonight. And for yeah, what you've given all of us. I have thank one you. question. Thank you. I have a question. Thanks. Please. Thanks. Can I get a question? Or one question yes. for Bruce? Yeah. Hey, Bruce. I love you. I'm a, <laughs> massive, I'm a massive Kiss fan. You know this, buddy. Oh, thank but you. my question, thank please. You. Where is that Mockingbird? <laughs> I have one similar to one of the ones that we work, but Bob and I love the BC Rich guitars yeah. and, uh, you know, it, that was very hip then too, you know, so, but uh, I don't actually have the one that, you know, from the tour, you know, but Bob and I had some cool guitars back then. I know that. Okay. And uh, Todd, please. What, what about Greeny? How did you, where did Greeny come from? What? Uh, oh, oh, you mean foamy? Yeah. Fo- excuse me. Sorry. Foamy. Foamy. Yes, yeah. It's a particular foamy. shade of green. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Foamy, uh, there was a, uh, there were the Halcyon days in the late 80s when the Japanese were like the richest people in the world. And so everything else in the world was really cheap for them. And I could take my 11 piece band to Japan, you know, like once a year to go play. And they were so rich that all the Japanese companies, they would just give you stuff. You know, just so you would take a picture with it or something like that. And we used to get guitars, you know, half a dozen guitars. Every guitar company would come to the gig and give you a guitar just so they could take a picture with it. And they sort of started piling up in a storage space that I had. And one day I decided to go through them all. And this one guitar, this Fernandez guitar, essentially Fernandez, which was um, Fender licensed a Japanese, Japanese company to make Fender knockoffs. And so they had all of kind of, they all look like Fender guitars and it was a Fernandez and I played it and it sounded better than the rest of them and it played easier than the rest of them. And it just became my accent. I'm too lazy to find another one. <laughs> That's awesome. There you go. Yeah. Oh, thank you. There you go. Oh, and I have yeah. one little last question. Carly, yeah, you, you, you live in Oregon? Yes, I do. On the Where McKenzie river, on the McKenzie river, uh, well, that's pretty big. Really... <laughs> okay. That's a big it's house. East. It's you live in a raft? <laughs> yes, really. Watch, watch Ellen's video. You'll see. No, my youngest, uh, my youngest lives in Portland, and so I'm always oh. going through Portland. So oh. if it's near there. Please. Yes, it's like two hours south of there. Come visit. Right. We have room. Please. Okay, cool. I, I, no, okay, I get to no, say something. Different. I'm not going what? there. You have to go to Portland. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Okay. You're not going to get that knock right. on the door. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. I, I got to yeah. say one last thing. My first, buy Ellen Foley's record. It's so freaking brilliant. Okay. It's oh, fabulous. Cool. Finding words. And, the, and she kicks butt. She, and the other thing is my son 
sends me a, a video on, on the phone and he goes, mom, this is my new theme song for life. And it was bang on the drum. And ah. it was a video, it was a live video that I sang on with Flo and Eddie saying background. Ah, yes. That's shortly a little show. I thought, you remember? Meant, I thought, what? It was incredible. That was Boy George's incredible. American video premiere as well. Oh my wow. God, I didn't oh, even know that. Oh, wow. know. But my son, and I thought that, he said it. And with that, and with that, God, we look forward to seeing you. You're coming. Thank you. We're, we're thank you guys. Thank, thank you guys. Thank you, Ron. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. What an exciting show bye, this bye. was tonight. We're looking. Uh, I'm looking forward. Let's see here. So we, on March 10th. We've got Chasm Sultan and his Utopia show coming out by us. Of course, on June 18th, we got Carmine and Cactus coming. We're very excited about that. April 16th, we got Last in Line and Vinny. I know uh, we're working on uh, the 50 Years Ago Today project that Todd Rundgren and Christopher Cross and all those guys are coming out. So we're looking forward to that. Um, and then, of course, uh, the Bat Show, which is a celebration of the life and music of Meatloaf on February 24th. So once again... It's been a chock full show, uh, a chock full of, of legends and icons and stories, behind the scenes experiences right here in Artists on Lockdown, hanging and banging. Want to thank you guys for joining us. Make sure you hit the podcast. Make sure you hit uh, our, our Facebook page and everything else. Keep it going. Like our, our page, share it. Let everyone know that this is the place to be every Thursday night. We're at six o'clock central, seven o'clock Eastern, four o'clock on the West Coast. Once again, thank you guys all so much for joining uh, us tonight. We look forward to seeing you each and every Thursday here on Hanging and Banging. <laughs>